Montana. And I'm Samantha. And you're listening to Reaper Tales. And today we're going to tell you about prisons. Sort of. Sort of. For me, okay. sort of. Yeah, mine's a definite. Uh, well, my, mine's a prison. Used to be a prison. Anyway, before we get started, me, what are we drinking? <laughs> I have no idea. <laughs> I wanted to surprise Samantha. Um, so we're going to be drinking bourbon and i know that not everybody can get this but it's a specific bourbon from a distillery called southern grace and it's called conviction straight bourbon this is where my all right this is where your prop comes in (laughs) that you said you had to get together Ah, there's pierce oh wow okay so there she is and put her right there. So conviction because of uh, prisons, but also because Southern Grace Distillery is in the old prison that I'm going to talk about. Oh well, that's neat. Okay, yeah, interesting. <laughs> I've been like, I've been so excited to tell you about this. <laughs> it's naturally infused with ghosts. <laughs> it's naturally infused with ghosts, and I got to meet a ghost. So, yeah, I know I'm, I'm waiting on that recording you said you had. Uh, so uh, without further ado, I guess we're just going to kick this right off, um, with mine and I'm going to start, I'm going to tell you about the prison and then I'm going to tell you about, um, the distillery now and like my experience cause I went and visited it, it yesterday. So Yay. Sending me snaps with hints, but no actual information. Yep. You you had no idea it was like a distillery. <laughs> well, no. Why would I even... At, at most, I thought it was going to be like that... Um, what was it? The whiskey place that we went to um, that was in a jailhouse. I thought maybe it had something to do with that, but... Oh, yeah. No. The jailhouse in Belmont. Yeah. yeah mm-hmm. No. It's the actual prison is now like a distillery and... Yeah. So let's, let's change the, the repurpose the building for something more positive. I'm all for it. Let's go. Yeah. So, um, I have a lot of different resources in here. They'll be in the show notes, uh, as well as I have a link to Southern Grace Distillery's website on there. If you want to go and like, check it out, they have different bourbons and moonshine. Um, and if you're in that area, it's uh, Mount Pleasant go and check it out. They have really good mixed drinks. So they make really good mixed drinks. Anyway. Interesting. So the North Carolina uh, Cabarrus Correctional Center on Dutch Road was a minimum security prison founded in 1927. Although considered crude and sometimes cruel, when compared to today's prison standards, the Mount Pleasant facility was built as a humane alternative to chain gangs. Okay. And I want to go ahead and say, while it this was a minimum security prison and it claimed to be more humane, in some ways it, it just wasn't. Um, and what's ironic about the old prison and like it now being used as a distillery for moonshine and whiskey um, is that... 
yeah, more than likely it has a, a bunch of bootleggers. <laughs> yeah, I had a feeling that was coming. Because of, and, the time, because of the time, I, I had a feeling that was the next next thing. Yeah, and in fact, it, it definitely did because I have a story about one such bootlegger. Um, Are they playing into that in the distillery, like going off of the whole prohibition thing? Um, no, no okay. not really. Surprising. Uh, That's like a missed opportunity. I almost feel like. <laughs> <laughs> well, they lean they lean kind of heavy into like the the ghost aspect of it. Okay, I'll tell Fair you enough. about it. Uh, according to I hate when I write it like this. According to this article, I found that cites a CNN article. <laughs> One of the well-known prisoners was an, a man by the name Red Rowland, who was known in the 1950s for owning a monkey that would do a trick and then tilt its hat in hopes for a tip. Alrighty then. Rowland... Rowan was also a known bootlegger, and the Cabarrus County Sheriff eventually sent a squad to Roland's home to seize the, quote, white lightning. Uh, yeah, I've heard of that term. And arrest its maker. The cops couldn't locate the distillery, but arrested Roland after his pet monkey produced a handful of cash from a hiding place. <laughs> <laughs> he was trying to bribe the police officers. <laughs> like, you can have this. Just let us keep doing what we're doing. <laughs> Roland, just can't imagine. Roland convinced the judge that the cash was the monkey's earnings, so <laughs> he was not prosecuted in that instance. <laughs> nice. I mean, well, how do you really argue that? You don't like, and if they didn't find a distillery, like, you got nothing. Yeah, what are you gonna do? Arrest However, the monkey. He's the one that tried to bribe the officials, not me. Right? Oh my god. However, Roland didn't escape imprisonment for long. He was eventually arrested again, and this judge wasn't so agreeable. And what's funny is, like, Roland wasn't all too shook up about being sent to Gavaris because his house was actually right across the street from the prison. This was really convenient. <laughs> hey, hey, keep it close to home, huh? Yeah, why um, not? That's probably some of his... Uh, clients were across the street from the prison so they all knew him already oh probably um and what we see happen in many prisons is what did happen in cabaras as well overpopulation the prison was designed to accommodate about 250 prisoners for many years it housed anywhere from 200 to 400 inmates and after years of neglect and lack of maintenance, the prison eventually closed its doors in 2011. That's so common. Yeah. Five years later, however, Southern Grace took over the prison. But before we get to them, I want to talk a little bit more about the prison itself. So, there used to be a form of punishment called hot box. It was I'm a small building. I'm familiar with that punishment. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. So it was a small building where up to two prisoners could be housed for up to 60 days. Being that it is in North Carolina and we literally sit in the devil's taint here, it gets really hot. Not only would they be trapped inside the um, not only would they be trapped inside the small building in the dead of summer, but they would keep a continuous fire burning to heat the building up even more. I mean were they trying to kill these guys? 
it's it's incredibly inhumane. And when they were telling me about it yesterday, I just like I couldn't believe it. Um, many prisoners who face this punishment attempted to escape, and one even attacked a guard and shot him to get away. According to this article that I'm citing from, the dent from the bullet passing through the guard is still visible on the door of the hot box. Um, I did take a picture of it for you, so... Am I allowed to open the attachment you sent me earlier? You are allowed to open the attachment. And you're going to keep it in that first that first folder. But you're going to scroll down. And it's going to be number 8412 and 8415. Okay. I didn't get up close to it because it freaked me out. Apparently not. I don't see it's the white box in the background. Oh, okay. Really? Yeah. So that was it. It's small. Oh, okay. Had to zoom in a lot because you really weren't going to get close. No, it wasn't. (laughs) I mean, there's a whole basketball, like, court. And then a lot of walkway between you and this building. You were really freaked out. (laughs) I wasn't going to go over there. Every time... Every time somebody goes over there, they say that they feel something. So I was like, I don't want you feeling things. Come on. I ain't feeling anything. I'm a big old baby. And that's what I kept telling them yesterday. I was like, I'm scared of everything. So I'm Audi 5000. I was like, I'll get a picture for her. But uh, no. (laughs) Okay. Interesting. I mean, it's definitely small. I would say it's probably bigger than I expected. But at the same time, when you're talking summer heat and even a fire being lit like that's there's there's no windows. There's like a small window on the door. And that's pretty much it. Yeah. And you're in there for 60 days, um, sometimes with another prisoner and you don't have a bathroom. So lovely. Yeah. This next part, I'm going to quote directly from a Journal Now article. Um, According to Emily Burkhart, the director of tourism for Southern Grace Distillery, several inmates met violent ends while incarcerated at the facility, either by suicide or other methods. One prisoner hung himself in solitary confinement, cell number four, and whose spirit is believed to have been heard by several visitors and employees. Another was murdered in the bathroom of the largest campus housing building, which is currently used for barrel storage. Several others could have simply died from natural causes. Many of their stories may not be known, but there is no doubt that some of them still haunt the prison. Natural causes. (laughs) Natural causes. Yeah. During a private investigation by first and fright paranormal Ryan Burleson, uh, founder of the group stated that most spiritually active areas they encounter the most spiritually active area they encountered was around the solitary confinement prison cell an area still on display for tours the 16 member paranormal research team who traveled from hickory north carolina captured several ghostly voices through their PSB-7 ITC research device. In one interesting occurrence, a team member, Melanie Dawn Adams, was walking away from the jail cells when the voices are purported to have called her back. Nope. 
Nope. So I'm going to tell you about my experience there and some of the stories that I was told while I was there. Um, and I just have bullet points because I didn't write anything down and I was drinking bourbon. So. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> So, Lord, if you're relying on your memory. Oh, okay. I know. Well, that's why I did bullet points because I want to make sure I get these topics. And like, I, I, I don't like, you know, whatever. I, I have ADHD, so I can ramble um, like I'm doing right now. Anyway. Essential. Uh, <laughs> so we get there and uh, you, you go into like the, um, there's a gift shop. It's in the old um, cafeteria, like, area or whatever. Um, and that's where you can get, like, the drinks and stuff like that, too. So that's where we went in. Um, we had missed the tour because the last tour was at 3. We showed up at, like, almost 4. I didn't know they had a time limit on it. But um, we're sitting there. We're trying out, you know, all the bourbons. And I made the mistake of getting one of the moonshines felt like it was scraping my esophagus paint <laughs> yeah um and everybody was kind of gone except for the two people who were working there um ver- their names were Ben and Virginia so council and I went up and we started talking to them uh and I mentioned that we were going to I was going to cover it on the podcast and all that stuff so we got to talk in and um Ben is actually the person who does all of the tours. And cool. uh, so I was talking to Virginia and she was like, Hey, why don't you just come back here? I have some like, um, I have some stuff you can take pictures of. It's like old, it's old stuff from the prison. So if you go back to the drive, the second image in there where it's got like the outlines of tools on the door. Mm-hmm. That yeah, was where like, they hung like food, all of their utensils. Mm-hmm. That's pretty cool. Yeah. It, it looks kind of like um, what I've seen in some uh, guys like tool sheds. Like they'll have the outline on the pegboard for different tools so that you know where it goes. Yeah. And then um, there was this old fingerprinting station. Um, and she showed me how they used to do it. And then there's uh the old signs where it, it says uh, no talking to inmates through the fence and stuff like that. Yeah, I see that. <laughs> no talking and, uh, to inmates in segregation. Yeah. Stay five uh, feet away from the fence. Then they have, um, there were like old dessert recipes that the inmates would follow for like desserts. I got a picture of that. And then the... The ones where there's a box and there's like labels and stuff like that. That was all of the shanks and stuff like that, that they found in the walls when they were kind of redoing the prison for the distillery. Lovely. And there's like notes. That's pretty cool. And then of course there's a picture of me standing under cell block East. Mm -hmm. Of course. (laughs) Of course. So I want to talk about some of the stuff that uh, Ben told me while I was there. Um, There's one ghost that he mentioned. It's a little girl who tends to be around sometimes. Um, 
and you're like, why was a little girl like in a prison or whatever? Um, but according to him, before the prison was there, it was a farm. Okay. And they believe that the little girl is from that farm. So that's why she's around. Oh, so is she freaking the prisoners out too? <laughs> uh, maybe. <laughs> well, maybe. And with me saying that, I actually have an EVP of her talking. Okay. That I'm going to let you listen to. So we're going to pause the recording. I'm going to try and get it in the episode so everybody can hear it. But we're going to pause. I'm going to let you listen to it. And then we'll come back. Okay. A quick note for our listeners before you hear this audio file. It does cut out a little bit towards the end. And that's because I raised the volume during that section of the audio clip so that you can hear it better. I heard the noise over here. Lizzie, is that you? Or are you sneaking up on her? You want to play, Lizzie? All right, so Samantha just listened to it, and it's uh, it's been on a tour, and he's asking the little girl um, if she, she wants, wants to, play. to play, and uh, all you hear is, like, it's really quiet, but all you hear is this little girl giggling, and it's, it's, it's so creepy. Embodied children laughter or talking, this, no. It reminds me of freaking Pet Cemetery. No, thank you. Yeah, no. No, 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 no. Uh, there's another clip in there. Um, and he didn't. He didn't talk about it, but uh, it, it's data too. If you want to listen to it, um, and then we'll come back. I see the moon. It's beautiful. So in that one, uh, somebody is saying something about the moon. Do you see the moon? And then in a really quiet voice, you just hear. This is so freaky. No. Mm-mm. Uh, what's okay. what's it, interesting is like, so Ben, he was so nice. He like, uh, we exchanged numbers because he was like, I can send you this stuff. You can use it on your podcast, blah, blah, blah. You can use any pictures or any videos um, that I send you. Um, and he told me about his experience with one of the ghosts there. Um there's apparently a guard ghost who is still in the prison. Um, and this ghost does not like Ben like at all. What did um, Ben do? I have no idea. Well, Ben, I think Ben talks shit to him. That's what it is. Okay, uh, Cause Ben doesn't like him either. Uh, he thinks, he thinks this guard was like a bad guard or whatever. He doesn't know anything about him. Like he does Lindsay, but, um, yeah, so this guard is constantly, like, showing up for Ben and all of that stuff. And there's a video in there of Ben talking to him. I don't want to let you watch it. Okay. So in this in this video, Ben has put, like, a light up uh, on one of the cell bar doors or whatever. And he's, like, antagonizing this guard ghost, like... We'll leave you alone if you just, if you turn the light on uh, and eventually it does like cut on that starts flashing. I don't know if you noticed this when you were watching the video right before it goes on. Uh, I heard a growling noise mm-hmm. like a frustrated. Yeah. Uh, 
I don't think that might have been that ghost. <laughs> also, I could be wrong, but it didn't look like um, the light. Because he said, all you got to do is twist it to turn it on. All you got to do is twist the front and turn it on. I don't think that flashlight actually moved. It just turned on. Yeah, I don't think it did either. It just, like, cut on. It, it, so. And then it was like, if you turn it off, we'll leave. We'll, leave. we'll go. And oh, you're not going to turn it off. You're not going to turn it off. Okay, you just want us to go. I was like, hey, that's fair. You said if you turn it on, we'll leave. Then you're like, oh, okay, now you got to turn it off. And the guard's like, screw you. I already did yeah. one thing. You're on your own. Pretty much. Uh, so, so he he has beef with this like guard ghost. Um, which is, I mean, it's good because he does all the tours, so he can antagonize this ghost and get him to like move around. But so when we were like kind of winding things down and we were getting ready to leave, Ben was like, do you want to go out to the barrel house and like get some pictures, look around, see if you hear anything while you're out there. So council and I went out with Ben and Ben started like talking to the ghost while he was in there. Um, And we were waiting to see if like anything happened, but you could hear at several points, like, it sounded like somebody was walking across the barrels um, coming towards you. No, thanks. <laughs> Which freaked me the F out. Uh, I was like, we got to, we got to scoot. I got to get out of here. <laughs> I, like, I don't, I, I don't want to be in here. Uh, but for the most part, Ben was like, most of these ghosts are pretty friendly, you know, blah, blah, blah. And then, um, he did have my husband, there's like a little bit of a gap between the barrels and, uh, like the barrel shelves. And he was like, why don't you walk in there and see if you feel any spider webs that like get on you? He was like, I literally come in here and I clear out spider webs every single day to make sure like, none are there when the tours go on. He was like, if you walk through there, it's going to feel like you're walking into, like, spider webs. But there's none in there. I promise you. So, Council walks through it. And when he walks back, he says he felt it, like, around his ankles. No, no, no. No, no. Yeah. And then I was like, I'm not going in there. <laughs> you can forget that noise. But, anyways... So, if you want to hear the um, what it sounded like on the barrels, there's a video in there that you can watch, um, <clears throat> and I can pause it. Uh, it's just like a black screen where you can hit play, because it was dark in there. So, I'm going to pause and let you listen. Come on, walk this way. Walk down here and see me. I want to be your friend. I don't want to be your enemy. Never have. I'm going to back up. You walk on down. I'll stay my distance. Just walk down a little bit more. I hear you up there. Come on. There you go. There you go. Yeah. Is there more than one? I got more than one of you guys in here? I know you like it up on the barrels. 
Yeah. I know you like it up there. Very cool. I said, if I'm in that room and that starts happening, no thanks. Yeah. Um, I have other places I can be. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's, it's really creepy. Um, just two more things on what ben, ben sent me. In that folder, there is an image that is kind of pinkish looking. Uh, it's got some. It's image 6857. So a girl who was on a tour had um, left her phone in one of the buildings and she ran back to get it. And when she was heading out, she turned around and she snapped a picture of that. Uh, And for the listeners, you know, we'll upload this, give Ben credit and all that stuff. But um, this image, Samantha, you describe it. Um. It's almost like if you were in a haunted house and somebody was pretending to be something scary because there's like no head and it's either mid stride or it's missing half its leg. Um, And it looks like it looks like it's mid stride, like it's running at you with no head, basically. Or like its head Um, is down. Yeah. No, it looks like it's missing a head, to be perfectly honest, if you're asking me. Um, Completely no head. It would have to be like trying to look like it doesn't have a head if its head was down but yeah, yeah. Mm. okay the color <laughs> color's not helpful either yeah but it, it's definitely yeah, not. the best way i can describe it if you've ever been in a haunted house um and walked through it when you have the actors that will come running at you um to startle you and they'll stop like right before they get to you that's kind of what it, it reminds me of like it gives me slight anxiety um because that's that's what it looks like it looks like it's literally running to you yeah um the next picture uh if you want to take a look at that so ben walks along the cells along the outside of the cell block every day and around this one window he takes a picture of it every single day because he said he feels something there and, like, they've had mediums come out there, and they they won't stay in that area because they feel something. So he snapped this picture one of the times. And you want to you wanna describe what this picture is? Yeah, it's just, like, it's a face. Like, a person's, like, it's almost like if you, um, when you have those really overly dramatic moments in the when you were a teenager listening to music and you were thinking of yourself in a music video and you know you'd put your forehead on the window like being overly dramatic montana did this last week i'm sure but (laughs) you bitch (laughs) that's kind of what it looks like like a person with this head on the window pane just looking out um but just like really weird and and maybe a hand like a hand bracing themselves or something in the window pane like diagonal and down from and then maybe a hand above uh or a hand next to the head in the pane next to it uh but it looks like somebody looking out out of the window yeah which is really weird like a i don't know like a fog of a person like not even mm-hmm. like uh, it, I, I don't I mean well, you can see easily see the bridge of the nose and like the forehead and the eyebrows and then it's lighter as if like i said the the forehead is like on the window pane yeah no no thanks (laughs) 
I mean, if you're one of these cells, I can easily believe that you would have that look about you. Just yeah. Get out. Uh, and just like one other point, um, the paranormal investigator show, they did go out, they recorded an episode. It's up. Uh, you can go and watch it, I guess on TV, wherever you watch that at. Uh, I didn't really mention it cause I'm not a huge fan of that show. <laughs> it's the yeah. one that Zach Bagans was on. Yeah. Uh, I figured. Uh, he wasn't the one that did it though. So, uh, and they said that they were really nice and that they, you know, did a good job. So you can go watch that if you want to like see what the prison looks like, or you can also do a ghost tour. Uh, they do tours like Fridays uh, and Saturdays. It's from like noon. There's one at noon one. You can find it on their website or whatever. And then there's um, get there before three. <laughs> so you don't, you have it. to get there before three. Um, you can't like, be as charming as I am, man. <laughs> no, it was not charming. It was all council. Uh, I believe I a hundred percent believe that they also do um, ghost. It, it's true. It was all him. Honestly, I'm so awkward in person. Um, but they do ghost tours at like night, starting in. I think it's. He said it was October. Uh, so you can go after dark. And these are like specialty tours where you're more than likely going to hear something, see something, all of that stuff. And uh, when you're here in October, if you come this year, we both get in for free. Oh, fancy. Might take you up yeah, on the offer. If you want to go and do that. Oh, my God. I figured you would. So, yeah, that was the Cabarrus um, prison. Uh, now Southern Grace Distillery. So I like how you said it's it's still open, sort of. That was an excellent description of this place. Yeah, exactly. Um, sort of. I mean, that's everything I do. I can never keep it simple. I can't keep Fair. it simple. So I had to go with this. And we were going to record right, well, this episode like earlier. But I had to go and visit. Yeah. Um, good job. That was creepy. Um, I don't have anything else to say. Uh, the pictures say a thousand words or whatever they say. Uh, so I'm thoroughly creeped out before I even get started on mine, which is not as creepy. But uh, <laughs> You're welcome. All right. No, this is I not what I had in, in mind. Yeah. So for uh, for my part... Mine is not really open, but is open. So it's a little bit confusing, but a lot of what I'll go over is the old prison and there is now a new prison. Um, the old one has been demolished, so it is no more. Um, but there was a new one that was built to replace it, but the old one has a lot of history and I thought it was very interesting. Um, so we'll get into it. The prison I'm covering is the Kilby prison in near Montgomery, Alabama. Um, specifically I was going through the old stuff, but then I have some new stuff also. Um, so yeah, the old Kilby prison. And this came about because of the, uh, case I did last week, um, because the person was sent here and I was like, well, that's interesting. So this is Alabama's like maximum security prison where, um, 
it's not the only one, but it's one where a lot of the death row inmates and that sort of thing go. That this Wait, is where they get sent to. Where was this at? Near Montgomery or in Montgomery, Alabama. That's where my aunt used to work. This prison? Yeah. Oh, good to know. <laughs> yeah, I think she used to be like the I had to ask that, but I'm pretty sure she used to be like the um like the assistant or secretary to the warden or something like that. It was something random. I believe um, it. And then she eventually went to like the tooling house. I I don't remember exactly what it was, but I do remember I went to work with her one time. That sounds terrifying. <laughs> No, thank you. I'm going to work with somebody. It's not going to be at a prison. Uh, well, this one was actually known as Alabama's Alcatraz. Um, it was built in 1922, between 1922 and 1923 in Montgomery, Alabama. And the cost of it, once all was said and done, was $2,250,000. Um, and that happens to be more than the total value of all other prison properties combined, according to a piece that I read on exploringmontgomery.com, which is where I got a lot of my info about the old Kilby prison, because again, it doesn't exist. So I do get a lot of information from a specific piece written by somebody. And I'll mention their name because I have to give credit. It's all coming from them where it describes it because there's not a lot of pictures either that I could find. Um, but it had 20 foot high, six feet thick perimeter walls that enclosed 27 acres and its block, hel block house held five tiers of cells. The whole reservation that it was located on um, consisted of 2,500 acres that included farmland, shops, barns, truck gardens, and laundry and other facilities. Some describe the prison itself at, that it looked like a medieval castle. And it was named after yeah. the governor at the time, which was Governor Kilby. And Warden General Fagan wanted to make it, uh, wanted to make it possible to modernize, and I say it in quotes because of, it was in the 20s, um, Alabama's prison system with an additional prison, which they named Kilby because he was the governor at the time. Um, quote, the new prison became more than a symbol of modernization, however, and it became the basis for reform changes that would occur for decades hence. Fagan designed a massive and thoroughly modern for then prison on the Baltimore model and secured the funding for its construction. Uh, it did change hands on January 15th, 1963, William W. Brandon of Tuscaloosa began his time as governor and Roy L. Nolan replaced Fagan as head of the board administration's convict department. He was also in charge of all matters pertaining to the operation of all state prisons and the activities connected with them. So it had like two main heads essentially. Um, and then that those two changed hands at least once before it was closed down. Mm-hmm. But I'm going to read the description that was provided by Chas Harold Simmons in, on exploringmontgomery.com. It was actually from another article, but I couldn't find the original article source. So we're just going to use the exploringmontgomery.com. It did. There is the one article that I, I cite in the resource notes has like a really great summary of everything. It's about a maybe five to 10 minute read tops. Um, but I wanted to just kind of use his words. So I'm not going to pretend that they're mine. Um, in February, the legislative session of 1923 made it unlawful, 
quote, for any person to lease or let for hire any state convict to any person, firm, or corporation. 1923. We, we, we didn't say that that was unlawful until 1923. No, no loaning people out to other people. No selling people to other people. All right. Oh, well, wow. so we're not allowed to do that anymore. Uh, <laughs> it's just amazing that we have to say that, like that I have to say those words out loud, but whatever. They'll find a way. I know. Not having sufficient housing or staff to accommodate the least, the least inmates, the BOACD instead leased the mines and prisons from the mining companies and as a state mine kept the convicts in the same prison bed and mine. So the mine and the place that they lived were essentially in the same location. I guess that's the way they got around it, sort of. Dad just uh, texted me back. It wasn't Kilby. She worked at okay. Draper. It's probably not any better, but yeah, it wasn't, it wasn't terrible uh, when I went there. <laughs> if you were alive, you definitely didn't go to this one because I think you would probably remember if you yeah. did. Uh, this one was in bad shape by the time they shut it down and you wouldn't have been alive when they shut the old one down. But by the time that you would have been visiting the new one, it still would have been pretty bad. Okay. The legislative session of 1923 also made provisions for exec executions to be performed by electrocution at the new prison Kilby, which I believe Great. I mentioned in the last case. The public and festive hangings of the 1800s had long since disappeared. Instead, the hangings were conducted out of sight of the public on gallows built inside the county jails. This law took this practice from the counties and gave it to the state. And then that's when the whole thing got started where you had the electrocution chair, which I talked about in the last uh, episode. So this is, this was the place where the, um, I think, what was it? Big yellow, yellow mama or something. Um, the electric chair that was built by somebody from out of the country uh, was housed here for a long time, basically until they no longer did death by electrocutions. And then he fled. <laughs> Yeah, as he made it, he was like, hi, guys. It's been great knowing Please. you. I don't want anything to do with this. You're going to have to find an electrician because that's not my specialty. I just work with wood. The Kilby Prison Complex was completed in 1923 at the cost of $2.25 million, like I said. Um, from the start, Kilby received compliments from all over the United States and as far away as Europe as being the most modern and most conducted, I don't really know what that means, prison in the nation. Located four miles north of the state capital, which is Montgomery, by the way, for those of you that don't know, on 2,550 acres, Kilby had a comfortable capacity for 900 convicts. A 20-foot high, which 900 was a lot for the 20s. So this was a huge facility. Yeah, I liked that pictures. It was huge. Yeah, I mean, it's ridiculous. Um, and And I think this kind of, this one reminded me a lot of when we did the asylum um, episode that. where they would build nice facilities in the hopes that we would do something different and we would improve the lives of these convicts and maybe reform was something that they were hoping to get. But then, you know, yeah, it does goes the way that they always go and they understaff, underfund, overpopulate. Uh, it does. The picture of it actually reminded me of the actual facility, the asylum that uh, Kelsey covered. It mm -hmm. looked a lot like that one. Now I forget the yeah. name of it, but 
well, it's been like 30 or Over 40 years. <laughs> I think, I think we can give some grace to ourselves on that one. Yeah. Um, so it had a 20 foot high reinforced concrete wall surrounding 27 acres. Like I briefly mentioned, the buildings were constructed of concrete and steel and had a dark red brick veneer. So they were built to be, to look nice. Um, the main building was five stories high, which was very, I feel like that's pretty big for a prison, especially at the time. And the first floor had individual cells. The other top four floors had cells constructed that could hold up to five prisoners each. All cells, all cells had a private toilet and lava. How do you say it? Lavatory. Lavatory. Yeah. They were fireproof and positioned to receive natural light and adequate ventilation. This is all positive things. This is all how they should be built. Mm -hmm. The temperatures in the upper tiers were equalized by forced ventilation through the roof. For bathing, large shower baths accommodated over 50 convicts at a time with hot and cold water provided, which I feel like that's fancy. They actually allowed them to have hot water. Not yeah, that is, that is pretty fancy. I mean, not that you'd really want hot water in the South. Probably not. <laughs> Let's be honest. You probably only wanted cold water. But hey, it was there in case it was cold. The, the kitchen and dining room had a state-of-the-art had state-of-the-art equipment, which permitted economically well-prepared meals three times a day. Medical care was provided by a hundred-bed hospital by a hundred-bed hospital and a dental dental parlor that was also thoroughly equipped. Schoolrooms and a library. Uh, a library were provided for the prisoners' educational programs. For the administration, ample offices were provided for the accounting department, the Bureau of Identification that used the Bertillion system, which I did not look up. So if you want to, go for it. I was not going to go down that rabbit hole. Spacious yeah, waiting rooms and private offices for the officials. <laughs> a power plant and a laundry was also built. Inside the walls was the Kilby Cotton Mill and Kilby Shirt Factory. Here's where we make our money. The 10,000 oh spindle mill employed 225 convicts in the production of 105,000 yards per week of the highest grade chambray cloth. The Kilby Cotton Mill opened on April 9th and began production on July 1st of 1923. The mill was fireproof and used the latest design, designed machinery and equipment. Two-thirds of the chambray produced was also used by the Kilby Shirt Factory, which employed 350 convicts in the manufacture of 12,000 blue work shirts per month. The remaining one-third of the chambray was sold in the open market. So, we are employing 575 convicts between the two buildings, um, depending on how they're working, etc. And this, this could only hold 900. So Sorry. that means that the majority of people that were there were working. Yeah. Well, it's interesting to me that they made uh, the blue work shirts because the blue, I mean, the blue work shirt is synonymous with blue collar workers. Um, but mm -hmm. you see those everywhere. Yeah. I didn't know that they were made there. And, well, you know, and you know, they sold a lot too. Like they made a lot of money off oh, of yeah. this work that they were doing. Oh, for sure. Kilby also had a modern and sanitary 100 cow dairy that used only purebred cows in the production of milk and butter. A large portion of the surrounding land was devoted to pastures for dairy and beef cattle. 
About 1,500 acres was devoted to garden and farm crops to grow food for the convicts, the cattle, purebred swine, and to produce a surplus of cotton for the open market. So again, we're we're making this like kind of self-sufficient. We're we're doing the farming thing. So I'm sure if you didn't work in the in the production mill, you were working on the farm to make these things. Or your yeah, all or the kitchen. Or the laundry. Right. There's something. There's something there for you to do. Like you're not going to sit idle all day. Uh, In so theory, this is a good idea. Yeah. In theory, <laughs> assuming it In all theory. goes well. Yeah. Two railroads and three highways pass through Kilby's property. Across a highway in front of the main building, in a beautiful oak grove, 30 homes were built for the officials and the employees. Again, not a bad thing. We want to provide housing for the people that work there. That's great. Within this community community center was also a hotel for the single employees. This prison village also had a community house for the sole use of the employees and their families. Kilby Prison began became the receiving and distribution point for convicts entering or moving among the prisons, a function that Wetumpka Prison had previously performed. So that means there's a lot of prisoners coming in and out very frequently. The hospital at Kilby was believed to be one of the best equipped hospitals in the South, according to the physician inspector, Dr. F.F. F. Blair. All new prisoners were brought to Kilby. On arrival, they were placed in detention cells until they were photographed Bertillioned, however, like recorded, and fingerprinted. I wonder if they use the same fingerprint method that you saw at the one that you visited, because it was around the same time, so probably. I would imagine, because these, uh, the stations came directly from, like, uh, your uh, state bureau of investigation agencies, or, you know, like, the federal bureau, but it was basically, they had these rollers, and they would roll the ink out on a, on a paper, and you do the thing and then you put nobody can see what I'm doing. I don't know why I'm doing this. Uh, it's kind of what you see in uh, movies and TV at the very least in the 90s and maybe early 2000s. What I remember seeing on TV shows and stuff where they would roll the whole thing and, and have you put your hand down, fingerprint, yeah. all that. Yeah. Very messy. Very messy. Gross. Thank goodness we have electronic versions where I have to do my one finger because for whatever the reason, it never records well. So every time I swap jobs, it takes five minutes to do one of my fingers because it refuses to work, but it's fine. Did I ever tell you about like when Megan had hers done? Probably not. <laughs> for, the, for those who don't know, when you go to work at a, like a bank or anything like that, you immediately Financial have to go get institution, yeah. any of that. You got to go get your fingerprints done. Well, and I remember getting mine done. Like you go in, they're going to fingerprint everything. They get your whole palm print and stuff. Um, and it's on like this electronic scanner. And a lot of the times it doesn't pick it up right. And it takes forever. Well, when they got done with our friend Megan's hand, she started taking off her shoes. And the guy was like, what are you doing? And she goes, I figured you needed my <laughs> footprints too, since you were being so thorough. <laughs> <laughs> She is such an idiot. That was probably a first for that so guy. <laughs> you know oh, what? God, she she, ha- she helped his day go, go by. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I cannot. I should remember that for next time. Of course, last time I did it, I think it was done at like a UPS store. So it'd be even weirder. Because back then it was done oh. at a place that only did fingerprints. Now they like can do all kinds of stuff. It's crazy. I did have to do yeah, it at it actual like a- paper copy when I 
when I got to the securities industry, there was one state, I think it's Florida. I might be wrong. They actually still require the paper, like the full on paper, get your stuff all like the ink all over your fingers and, and do that on paper and then overnight it to them in order to, I think it was for insurance licensing in Florida. It's like, this is some antiquated stuff, but all right, whatever. This is fine. And it has to be done by a police officer too, which is fine. So I have been fingerprinted in a police station. Well, it's, it's not surprising. It's Florida. Everything is outdated I, there. Fair. Sorry, Jenny. <laughs> They were then given a thorough physical examination and classified for the work most suited for their physical and mental capabilities, which I would love to hear what they deemed appropriate, depending on your mental capabilities. But all right. Well, Kilby had a well-equipped this dental. Was look. <laughs> this, this was the this 20s, was the 20s, right? 20s and 30s, yeah. Well, we all know how we could do anything. that goes. <laughs> <laughs> anyway i'm just glad i don't live in that time i'll put it that way same kilby had a well-equipped dental laboratory and parlor where new prisons were given any necessary dental treatment prior to being transferred elsewhere which is interesting because um, they would make sure they were basically healthy before they sent them somewhere else which is probably a good idea the dentist made regular monthly visits to all prisons. He had one trained nurse to assist, and a Wasserman test was made on each convict. All chronic and acute cases were brought to Kilby from other prisons. Out of 382 operations, there were only five deaths. So 382 that, operations on convicts, only five of them died. Oh, that's it? That's better than s some hospitals do, I feel like. Not too bad. Okay, she for the stars, my friends. <sighs> well, we'll see. Kilby did much more than serve as a mere compliment to the other prisons. Kilby made the group of facilities into a correctional system of programs and institutionalized elements of the reform movement. Kilby served as Alabama's turning point and Alabama's entry into a new era of, era of corrections. Kilby made it possible to move into an era, era without the brutal convict lease system into the road camp era, which I, I think that's kind of what your prison was originally. Like the idea was of away from the chain gangs. I think that's kind of what it's meant, what it's referring to is yeah. getting out of that idea and into the idea that we can actually reform these people. If we are given, if we give them the opportunity, they can be better. Well, they, they, when, when I talked to them about it, they, they still did, like, work release on it. So, like, they still were sent out to do, like, you know, construction for highways and things like that. But they were no longer, like, chained up on the side of the road, forced to work constantly, you know, in not great conditions. Boxes yeah. For months on end. Yeah. So, I mean, I guess that's better, but whatever. Depends on how you look at it, I guess. Yeah. When Kilby opened in 1923, the state owned and operated Watumka Spanier. Um, Watumka Spanier. I guess Spanier is what it's called. And uh, the state owned and operated that those prisons. In early 1923, the Spanier prison, a modern wood-framed prison building, had been constructed to accommodate 600 convicts comfortably. 
The Aldrich, Banner, Bell Ellen, and Flattop prisons were privately owned, but stay leased and employed convicts in mining. The River Falls prison was also privately owned and manufactured high-grade lumber in an up-to-date sawmill and finishing plant, which I wonder what up-to-date meant. But so it sounds, from, from what I could read, Kilby and basically Spanier were the only two state-owned. The rest of them were all privately owned, which blows my mind that that's even a possibility for people to privately own a prison. But I mean, I guess it makes sense because it was cheap, cheap slash free labor. Well, yeah, we've talked about it before, but like private, first off, privately owned prisons should not exist. Like they just shouldn't exist. Um, They get free labor, uh, forced labor, and they also get like subsidies and, um, you know, payment from the state to be there. So all around, like they are, it's for profit prison. There's not going to yeah. be any reform happening in that because they don't want people to be reformed because they want free labor. They don't want them to get out and so. then not come back. That's That defeats the purpose. Yeah, Exactly. And that's why that whole like three strikes law is such bullshit too. So, but we, we're not going to get into that. Um, I won't get anyway. too far into that. Uh, in, uh, in 1934, a central warehouse was established at Kilby for handling the many supplies used by the prison system. The Hawes Cooper law became effective in 1934, which adversely affected the sales of prison produced items. Uh Oh, this is where we become, where it becomes a problem. This law created a boycott mm-hmm. on prison made goods because of this underwear, uh, because of this, the underwear and shirt factory closed. In 1960, a trusty bar- barracks at Kilby was completed and opened with a normal capacity for 400 convicts. So this should be adding to the total allowable, which would be, it was 900 before, so we're at 1,300. Kilby had over time become archaic and dilapidated without proper convict living quarters, industrial areas, hospital facilities, educational and recreational facilities, and the foundations and walls were cracking. While built originally on the outskirts of Montgomery, the area was becoming urban and thickly populated. Too many inmates were classified in over-restrictive custodies and more medium facilities were needed. So I don't know what this was classified as originally. Now it's a maximum, but before I'm not sure what it was. But basically, there I think this was still relatively higher than, than medium. Because they were saying that the it was they were over restrictive here, so they needed more medium facilities to provide for the inmates that they had. A new cotton mill, uh, although I don't know if they had manufacturing, maybe it wasn't. But I never saw anything that said what level of restriction they had at this at Kilby at the time. Hmm. A new cotton mill, a batchure, I don't know, a meat processing plant were also needed. Further new administrative offices, receiving and classification units, and hospitals were also needed. The BOC commissioner, frankly, recommended that Kilby and the surrounding farms and real estate be sold and that new facilities be constructed with the proceeds. So the Frank Lee Youth Center was opened June 24, 1964 to house male offenders 21 and younger with sentences of less than 10 years. Because before this was, I believe, anybody over 18 was allowed at the facility, at the main facility. 
the center that they opened had a capacity, had the capacity for 104 inmates in 1966. They opened uh, another facility adjacent to the FLYC. They vocational trades taught were body repair, auto mechanics, brick masonry, upholstery, cabinet making, and welding. So all of the types of things that we're in dire need of right now, honestly, because mm-hmm. nobody wants to fill those positions. In November of 1969, Holman Prison was completed and occupied. Holman was named after the former, former war- warden of Kilby, William C. Holman. Kilby's maximum security unit containing the electric chair, the yellow mama, that's what it was called, and death row inmates were moved from Kilby, the old Kilby, to the new facility, Holman Prison. In early January of 1970, the Mount Meigs Medical and Diagnostic Center, which was renamed later in honor of Kilby, was opened. And by January 21st, all inmates had been removed from the old Kilby prison and the out-of-use prison was raised. And that's R-A-Z-E-D. From what I understand, that basically means it was completely demolished. Yeah. So it was no more, which I, based on the description provided, I don't think there was much left. I, I think it was fairly easy to demolish that place. Because obviously it had not been taken care of whatsoever. Yeah. There was a firsthand account of somebody who visited it in 1966. Uh, Robert Summers. He said he was stationed at Gunner Air Force Base, Alabama, which was across the highway from the old Kilby prison. Personnel in my squadron were issued a prison pass to be used in case of a tornado warning. The prison was considered a safer place of refuge than any building on the Gunner Air Force Base. I never had to use my prison pass, but thought that it was a very interesting arrangement. Which, considering the status of the prison, does make me have questions. Yeah. Yeah. Because um, it was completely okay. demolished in 1970, so it was already in pretty bad disrepair by then if he was there in 1966. But okay. That, that makes me question the Air Force Base a little bit. I'm not going to lie. Uh, yeah. Oh, um, another first-hand account, Alan Kelly, January 6th of 2023, they said, Circa mid-50s, my half-uncle was in Kilby Prison. My dad's half-brother. Uh, I guess is what he was referring to. My dad made me and my brother ride in the back of our 1947 barely running green Ford truck. Seems like it was always very cold when we went. Mom and Sherry, my little sister, rode up front and there was no heat in the truck anyway. The pictures do not see what we seen. We seen chain link fence with concerto wire behind it red clay going all the way back to the red brick building. Lots of rooms with bars on them. 50 miles to give my uncle a pack of cigarettes and a dollar. I'm 75 now. My brother is 76. And I'll I'll bet, I'm guessing they meant to put bet. Sawani, I have it. Oh. <laughs> I don't really know how they how they mean to put this, but I'll Sawani. I, I think they mean I'll I'll swear. I haven't stolen as much of a nickel candy bar in all of these years from the fear of ever landing in a gel like what we were shown. Yeah. <laughs> All right, uh, fair enough. I if you had it. to visit somebody in prison and it was that prison, I believe it. Yeah. Good Lord. So, um, it was closed for good and demolished in 1970, and all of the prisoners were moved to Holman Correctional Facility, which is basically where they are now. Um, and the current Kilby Correctional Facility, which I don't know when the name changed back to Kilby, um, but it was opened in December of 1969 and is located 
on 154 acres outside of Montgomery, Alabama, because they did have to move it. Because again, where it was, the old one was housed had become more and more urban and it was more densely populated. So that makes it obviously not safe to have a prison where it's easy to escape and, and go into the population. Yeah. I think, I think that's my guess. I, I feel like that's how it works. Um, and it is considered a maximum security prison. And the current, there are currently 1,209 inmates, which are all male. Capacity for that facility is 1,400 uh, for this specific prison. And I think the only reason why it's not overpopulated is because it is a maximum security facility. So only specific prisoners would be admitted there. I'm There's also surprised a, at how many they have at a maximum security. Yeah. 1,209. That's a lot. And they are That's very understaffed. Oh, as usual. There's also a separate facility for women that's located behind Kilby called Montgomery Women's Facility. Crazily, on September 1st, 2016, a corrections officer named Kenneth Bettis was stabbed in the head, his temple to be exact, by an inmate and died three weeks later. At the time, according to the AL.com article referenced in the show notes that will obviously be there as per usual, at Alabama's six close security facilities designed to house the worst of the state's inmates, there are more than 8,500 prisoners sharing a space designed for a little over 5,000. At Kilby, a prison just outside of Montgomery, the occupancy rate is 266% over capacity with a 50% shortfall in guards. So this was back in 2016. Not that long the ago. The number I gave you was per the number on their site. The, the state's site. In June 2010, assaults in close security prisons were about 170 per year, while medium security prisons, which hold a much higher number of inmates, was about 700 assaults. Today, those figures are now around 600 and 1,300, respectively. So it went from 170 per year to 600, and the medium security prisons went from 700 to 1,300. Lots, lots of inmates, not enough personnel. And obviously they're not reforming anybody. These, these places don't have enough space for the people, let alone to try to give them any type of positive like goal to go towards. Um, so Kilby no, is still responsible not. for receiving all inmates except death row and youth offenders into the state prison system for further evaluation, classification, and assignment to other correctional facilities. So that has not changed. In addition to the receiving and classification center, Kilby furnishes the prison system with hospital services that includes medical and mental health treatment. So that also hasn't changed. The medical mm -hmm. facilities provide comprehensive health care services, including dental and mental health care, which... I, I don't I, I don't know that I would ever have the the capability of handling mental health at a prison. That's just I would no, never be able not. to do that. Power to anybody that is doing that role. I, I, <laughs> I have a lot of respect for you, regardless of how good you are at your job, to be perfectly honest. Um, it medical treatment includes free world specialty care and all related sp support services. On-site employee training programs are conducted at Kilby for local security and support personnel. Inmate programs offered include uh, for the inmates include anger management, uh, AA and NA, 
which Narcotics Anonymous, Alcoholics Anonymous, a chapter of the Volunteers in Corrections, Sex Offenders Therapy, GED or ABE educational classes, 12-step alcohol drug counseling, uh, and individual and group therapy offered as ongoing mental health programs. So they do still offer it. How much that's taken advantage of, I really wouldn't know. I hope it is, but I don't know how good those programs are, but those programs are offered, I guess. Yeah. Um, They also offer uh, printing and graphic arts, and they maintain an institutional garden for fresh produce. It's Kilby is classified as a close custody correctional facility. And they do offer adult education and GED services from the Ingram State Technical College. Notable inmates, which I didn't realize this, but the case I covered a few months ago, um, the Scottsboro gentlemen, Mm -hmm. uh, they were transferred to that prison after the jury convicted them of the the crime that they were convicted of. Um, So they stayed there. For varying amounts of time, because some of them were released faster than others. Um, Bobby Frank Cherry was one of the conspirators of the 16th Street Church, 16th Street Baptist Church bombing, which I will cover at some point, but Mm. I'm not prepared for that one. That one's going to be a tough one. Um, He was originally taken to Kilby for intake. He was later transferred to Holman Correctional Facility, which is the same basically facility um, just in a different location. And he actually died in Kilby correctional facilities hospital in 2004, Mike Hubbard, which I don't know if you recognize that name, but I did former Republican speaker of the Alabama house of representatives. Uh, He was sentenced for four years in prison for felony violations of state ethics laws. And (laughs) he was sent to uh, the state custody at Kilby correctional facility in 2020. (laughs) As far as I know, he's still there. Good riddance. Oh no. Um, And most recently, unfortunately, Alabama is sent to spend close to $1 billion on a new prison near Montgomery and is planning to spend at least $600 million more to build a second mega prison by 2026. But the new construction likely, likely won't end the state's legal problems with overcrowding. Just for reference, there were nearly 19,000 male inmates in Alabama correctional facilities as of January of this year in buildings designed to house just 11,000. That means that the state's prisons are operating at 168% of capacity with one of the highest incarceration rates in the entire world. World, not nation. And that's so shocking to me. It's like the fact that they don't come in and shut these down. Like if you have like a company, if you have like a restaurant or anything like that, and I know we're talking about something different, but if say like a government company that's producing some kind of product, if they're over that limit of what they can hold or house or whatever, the, the fire, the fire department will shut them down, fire marshal, whatever. Because it's a health and safety Mm -hmm. risk. Right? Right. But they just get exempt because they're prisons? That's horseshit. Because what else are they going to do with them? But what's worse is, okay, so we're going to solve the problem by building more prisons. 
all right, let's not even talk about the fact of how that's complicated in and of itself. But we're already understaffed. We're already struggling to staff these prisons in an adequate adequate amount to compensate for the amount of people that you have in these buildings. So we're going to build more buildings so we can hold more prisoners. Who's how, how are you going to get employees to work those places when you already can't get enough to take care of the ones we have? Well, that obviously this the isn't the that... proper solution. Let's be honest. No, it's not. And so staffing issues like aside, like that's a huge concern, but maybe like, maybe look inwards, Alabama, maybe look inside of yourself, uh, self-evaluate and say, you know what, maybe we don't need a bigger facility. Maybe we need to look at our um, judicial system and why are so many people being convicted at a rate that is the highest globally um and maybe there might be an issue one of there. the highest but still yeah that's embarrassing one of the that's highest the it, it, there's there, i can't i can't i can't believe that there are that many people who were justly sentenced i just can't believe it and i don't believe it so i think they need to reevaluate what's going on there Instead of, you know what, seems like we have a lot of people who are being sentenced to prison time. Let's make more prisons. We're, we're running out of space. Let's, let's, I, I, I will compare that to a person who has hoarding disorder, right? So the answer to running out of space is not to then buy storage, storage facilities to store more stuff because you ran out of space. The answer is to clean house and yeah. to decide what needs to stay and what needs to go. So in this situation, perhaps funding instead of going towards building another building or two buildings should go towards proper mental health facilities and treatment, um, proper health in general treatment and facilities, and maybe talking these inmates through the situation that they were in and working on getting them to a place that they can be functional members of society because they weren't given the tools that they needed to do that originally. So now you have the perfect opportunity. You have them there. Do it now. Give them those tools and then improve our society as a whole as well as the funding, because now they're working and providing tax dollars instead of just taking those tax dollars away. Just yeah. a thought. I'd be curious uh, to see what the demographic um, data is behind the incarcerated in Alabama. Um, just, I can guess. You know, well, I can get it. We, we can both guess, and it would be a very educated guess. Uh, but that aside, like how many of them also have like, mental health issues, like you stated, how many of them have, um, you know, lower cognitive functioning, how many of them or just less education in general? Yeah. Uh, you know, they don't, they, they, how many of them went, had a public defender, and not, no shade against public defenders. Like a lot of them do a great job, but it, it has me thinking like, there's something systemically like wrong here. Broken. Yeah. 
So I'd just be curious yeah, to look at the database. Fix what's broken. Let's go back to the drawing board because obviously what we're doing isn't working. So let's not find more places to put them and instead fix the system that's causing the problem in the first place. Because I have a hard yeah. time believing that there's 19,000 people. Then that's just, by the way, that's just male inmates. That's not total. That's Holy just males. Shit. So how about we look at that a little bit harder and see if we can figure out where there might be an issue. Just, just a thought. That's, that's just my thought anyway. So, yeah. So, um, that is, uh, Kilby correctional facility and, uh, old and new. So, and you know, a, a brief update of Alabama prisons, <laughs> which was really depressing when well, I read great. it. So I was like, let's share that with the general public. <laughs> Oh, yay. I'm so glad you shared that with me. Uh, I did look at pictures of it while you were talking. Um, and some of them, some of them, it was like hundreds of bunk beds just in a giant room. Just tons of people all in one room. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's got to be, I mean, and with COVID, when COVID came through. My goodness. Yeah, the new the new one built was definitely not uh, any anywhere close to the way the old one was. Obviously, the new one was built much differently and and with a very different goal in mind. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, I just feel bad, and I I hate saying that I feel bad for the prisoners, but I do feel bad for the prisoners. You know people people deserve most people deserve to have your basic necessities met and that's housing in a sanitary and healthy way um yeah and i, I don't know just having 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 support to not be in that position to begin with, you know, cause I, th I think this, I think it goes, it goes beyond the prison system. And it, I think it really starts at the uh, judicial system. In Alabama. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Well, in most places, but, you know, whatever. I just, I, I do feel bad. I feel bad for them. And thinking about them during COVID, I know that a lot of prisoners got really, really sick or, and, or died. Or died. During COVID, mm -hmm. uh, well, and COVID's still going on, but it is. Being, um, wear your mask. That's all yeah. we're saying. Uh, anyway, home when you're sick, for goodness sakes. Well, just uh, stay yeah. home. <laughs> I, that's what I do. I try to stay home all the time, regardless. But if I'm sick, I'm definitely staying home. Just yeah, don't home. leave your house. What are you doing? Calm down. Uh, well, very two two very different takes on prisons. Very and, different. And, uh, <laughs> I have to say so myself. <laughs> well, you never know, know what you're going to get with me. <laughs> well, anytime we do these joint cases, like we, we come up with a subject and we both run with it. <laughs> and I think it's kind of fun because we do have a tendency to take two very different takes on the same subject. Um, and some of us go off the beaten path and, and kind of sort of make it work with the subject matter. And sometimes we both do a good job, but I think it makes it interesting at the very least. Yeah, I, I think so too. Um, I agree. You guys can tell us what you think, but honestly, 
we're probably still going to do it the same way. But hey, if you've got suggestions on other ways to do it, we, we might try it out. Uh, Never maybe. You don't ask. Probably not. I don't like being told what to do. Um, That's fair. <laughs> no, I, I could have taken, you know, like a more uh, serious stance on it. There was um, obviously prisons in and of themselves are problematic and they have issues and things like that. But after doing a two-parter, I still haven't recovered from. Um, fair enough. I wanted to be a little bit sillier uh, and spookier. Well, our next also. joint one should should help with that a little oh bit. Oh, my God. I forgot that we were doing that. Oh, my God. You guys are going to be so excited. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so yeah. We've been putting off, but we're finally getting around to it. So. I know. Well, this is like my bread and butter. You know I live for this kind of shit. <laughs> <laughs> it's so it's oh it's gonna be so good oh uh, uh to be announced later on but tbd in the meantime um you can find us on facebook and instagram at reaper tales podcast what about email you can you can email us at reaper gals at reaper tales.com email us um what kind of shows you want to hear um especially if it's a joint one we'll definitely take suggestions on those uh because it's normally just us hopping off of this recording and going, what do you think about this? <laughs> and then we're both like, yeah, that sounds good. And then a week later, we're both like, did we agree to do this? Are we doing this? That's, anyway. that's why we did a shared file now. <laughs> so yeah, we'll we have a shared file. So just hit us up there. Let us know that. Uh, let me know if you end up trying the bourbon from Southern Grace. And, um, you know, just email me to tell me I'm doing a good job. Uh, I like you know we all need positivity in our lives up, being told i'm doing a good job we really do uh samantha where can uh oh yeah wait, the other part that. no yeah like great review subscribe like, all rate, the review. lovely that's things the one. uh you know yeah yeah written written reviews are great if you you give us a good review on you know platforms you don't actually listen to us but you'll want to just help boost our ratings that's helpful you'll get help other people to find us which is great um and you know we we love all y'all thanks for hanging out and uh listening to our banter and even when we're not always as entertaining maybe i don't know but we entertain each other so hopefully you find some entertainment in it that's true I can entertain myself as well. Um, yes, we do love you. And until next time, love you, mean it, bye. The reaper will come for us all.